Welcome to Podcasts, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. We're off to a good start this entire month. We're using this book called Big Potential of Sean Akers, and we'll be talking a little bit about the idea of what we can do in collaboration versus the idea of competition. And in fact, maybe a a good place to start would be a short reading from the book, just to uh, talk about his thesis in this matter. He says, we live in a world of survival of the fittest. It teaches us that success is a zero-sum game, that those with the best grades or the most impressive resume or the highest points score will be the only ones to prosper. And the formula is simple. Be better, be smarter, be more creative than anyone else, and then and only then you can succeed. But what if this is entirely wrong? Thanks to groundbreaking new research you will read about, we now know that achieving our highest potential is not about the survival of the fittest. It's about the survival of the best fit. In other words, success is not just about how creative or how smart or how driven you are personally, but how well you are able to connect with contribute to and benefit from the people around you. So today we're going to cover the basic idea of the book, and in the following weeks we're going to cover five elements of really achieving our group potential when we focus on this spiritual idea of unity. We're going to cover the idea of surrounding ourselves with excellence, expansion by helping others, enhancement through the praising of others, defending against negativity. And in the last week, we'll talk about sustaining the idea of a virtuous circle. The other place, though, that I want to start with, if you don't mind, is a story. So picture yourself as a biologist from the University of Washington. It's 1935, and you've gone on a trip to Indonesia in the deepest part of one of their nearly submerged forested areas. So you're in a canoe and there are mangrove trees all around you jutting up out of the water. And although you might think, well, what kind of life is there for a biologist here? Anyone who's gone to the Florida Everglades knows that, oh no, there is life everywhere. Life in the trees, life in the animals, life under the water. And this particular gentleman, this professor from University of Washington, is there studying some of the uh, some of the bugs, some of the insect life. And one night he goes out at twilight. The forest, of course, is well known for its fireflies, and perhaps you've encountered a firefly yourself. Here in the Pacific Northwest, they're, they're not very well known, but for those of you who have maybe traveled to the Midwest and other areas, you know what a firefly is. And, and typically, they'll come out at dusk, and you'll see a, a little winking here and a little winking there, and then as the, the darkness deepens, you'll notice that there's a little glimmers of fireflies everywhere. 
And so that was what our biologist, Dr. Smith, was expecting to find in Indonesia. And so he went out one evening, and sure enough, as the dusk began to fall, there would be a little glimmer here and a little glimmer there. But then something strange happened. Suddenly, a whole patch of light flashed on deep in the forest, in this mangrove forest. Then a few more glimmers. Then two flashes of light, almost bright like lightning, hit the forest simultaneously. And then a few more glimmers. And then the entire forest, for at least a quarter of a mile around him, lit up in perfect, illuminated, bright unison. And at first he didn't believe it. At first he thought, well, has it been lightning? Surely this can't be the lightning bugs, right? Flashing in unison. This can't be some sort of bioluminescent trickery going on here. But then it happened again, and it happened again. And on and off through the entire night, the forest would be plunged from pitch black into simultaneous illumination. Well, this story has a part two, and I'm going to save it for later, because <laughs> I'm sure you're wondering what the heck was going on. Well, and I'll give you a teaser. So he comes back to the university and publishes this in the Journal of Science and totally got catcalled. People accused him of fake news, right? There's nothing like this that could happen. In fact, people were puzzled as to even how it could possibly have happened. How could thousands, millions perhaps, of these fireflies uh, all shine their light in unison? And they accused him of making it up. They accused him uh, maybe of uh, imbibing <laughs> during his studies. They basically discounted the whole thing. Well, 30 years later, people returned, and, and that'll be part two uh, later on in the sermon, so wait for it. So I want to talk about Sean Aker's main premise here. First of all, how we are trained to perhaps be individuals. From the earliest age, when we go off to preschool and when we go off to school, aren't we trained that it's our individual results that count? We have tests, we have report cards. They don't measure how we do with other people. They don't measure how well the class does as a whole. They measure our own achievement. They predict whether we're going to do well in first grade, in second grade, in third grade. They measure us against uh, other students. And when we study, we typically study alone for a test of our personal worth. When we observe things on television as young people, we see that it's the stars that seem to make headway in this world. Those rare few people who can sing well enough or who can dance well enough, who are politically astute enough or smart enough. We, we notice that the scholarships are given to those people that really succeed, who do the best on their SAT scores. We notice in the world that it's the very chosen select few people who are the, the most beautiful, the most uh, intelligent, the most athletically inclined. Everything points to the fact that the world is driven on individual achievement. But then what happens? At least for 85% of Americans, most of us end up in a job 
or a profession where we're working intimately with other people. And in fact, studies have shown that most of the wealth achieved by individuals is achieved by individuals who are working in teams. And so this, this training, if you will, this individuality, this striving for personal excellence at the expense or at the ignorance of other people actually doesn't play out very well in the world for those people who are financially and otherwise successful and happy. Now, don't get me wrong. Still, you know, the the media is full of those superstars who on their own personal merits have managed to achieve greatness. But that's really the drop in the bucket of where true financial and other success and happiness lives. The large bulk of the money made in the world, the success made in the world, and the happiness enjoyed in the world is done by people working in cooperation with each other. Where do we learn that, (laughs) right? What class do we go to to learn uh, cooperation? What class do we go to to learn how to, to rise above our individuality and really focus in on the success of the team or the group? Well, of course, good companies do that. Good, uh, good teams in, uh, in sports do that, right? We, we do focus on how to work together as a team, but that's not the general rule. The general rule for most of the training we receive is how can you personally succeed? Well, this month we're going to turn that on its head, I think. We're, we're using this book called Big Potential, and the whole idea of the book is that we can always achieve more in collaboration with others than what we can on our own. Well, let me illustrate that maybe with today's joke. So a frog asked two geese to take him south with them. It's fall. It's time to migrate south. And a frog asked two geese if they would mind taking him south with them. Well, at first they resisted. It wasn't obvious how they could even accomplish this. The frog was simply too heavy to ride on either of the geese's backs. Well, one goose decided it might be accomplished if they both lifted the frog at the same time. And the other goose said, perhaps, perhaps they could hold a twig between them that the frog might grab onto. Well, the frog's webbed fingers weren't strong enough, but finally the three of them figured out that he could hold on to the twig in his mouth. So, off the unlikely threesome went, flying southward over the countryside. It was really quite a wonderful feat of teamwork. That's wonderful, called someone from down below, who was so clever to figure out such a fine way to travel. Whereupon the frog opened his mouth and said, it was me. (laughs) All right, I know, that's a stinky one. (laughs) But I did think it fit in with our idea of teamwork today. The reality of matters is actually very much a spiritual issue. I know some of you might be saying, well, Big Potential and and Sean Aker, isn't he the guy that does social engineering? How does that fit in with metaphysics? How does that fit in on the spiritual side of things? And what I want to focus on today is the idea of the unity principle that we believe in in science of mind. 
So in Science of Mind, if we were to look at the issue of collaboration versus competition from a metaphysical standpoint, we'd have a little bit of a problem. We'd be asking questions like, competing for what? And competing for what? If we really believe that there is a unity of all spirit, if every person, every place, everything, if every idea is part of that universal collective, that universal consciousness, then what would we be competing for? Is not everything contained within the one? Is not everything that you could ever wish for, ever desire, ever claim, ever need, ever wish to experience, isn't it already part of the universal whole? And so the idea of having to compete for it, the idea of running out of it, the idea of somehow missing out on it from a metaphysical standpoint is really inviting division. It's taking that unity and blowing it apart, saying it's each person for themselves. Well, we know in science of mind that's simply not the case. In the science of mind, we know that God is truly all there is, and therefore every bit of God has equal access, equal command, equal power with regards to the whole. So you might say that, that God's life is my life. God's abundance is my abundance. God's goodness and peace and joy and happiness and love, all of those things that we treasure are actually already mine already within my sphere of influence on the spiritual side of life. And so then to, to foster competition, to say it's one person against the other, to say that there's a zero-sum game here and that for some to win, there must be some to lose, really flies against the face of what we believe. So competing against who implies a division. It implies that there's God and something else. It implies that you are separate from your fellows. And uh, competing for what implies a separation of you from what's good for you. The good life, the sweet life, the life that you want to enjoy. If you must compete for it, it implies it's out of your reach and that you must struggle for it. Well, all of those things in the science of mind we know to be false, at least on the metaphysical side of life. Now, don't get me wrong. I am living in this uh, tangible human world along with the rest of you. Sometimes I like to think that I can soar above it, but sadly, I'm a lot like that poor frog soaring above it all. I, too, have to combat those urges of competition, those odd beliefs that there isn't enough to go around or that some people must suffer in order for other people to achieve more. I suffer from those delusions, but I do recognize that that's what they are. They are simply delusions. When we begin to act in concert with one another, when we begin to cooperate rather than compete, when we hold up on high the ideas of working together because we're part of the same thing, then truly we can achieve more than what we're apt to singly. I have a quote from Ernest Holmes I'd like to share with you. Ernest Holmes, of course, the founder of the science of mind, had this to say in his book called Love and Law. He said, unity is the basis of all that there is. There is but one God, 
but one mind, but one spirit, and only one power. And then he goes on to say, when I embody myself in my thoughts selfishly, I am separating myself from that which I think would be my good. You may think that this is a subtle thing and could not be the reason for much trouble. Yet, the foundation is most of our troubles. So he's saying that really most of our troubles, most of the troubles on the planet are when we selfishly embody our thoughts, when we attempt to use God's good only for ourselves, when we attempt to control the universe simply for our own gratification at the expense of others. When we do that, he says, that is the cause of most of the trouble that we see in the world. And so throughout this segment, we're going to work on this idea of collaboration versus competition. We're going to move aside and across the idea that somehow individually we must succeed in order to have success at all. I think the other thing that I want to talk about today is this idea of collaboration. Most of the book has this idea of collaboration, and I think most of us believe that somehow this is a group of people coming together with a specific goal and then harnessing their unique talents and skills to achieve that goal. And and yes, I would say that is collaboration, but it also misses the point, I think, of, of part of the reason for collaboration. Because so often in the work environment, we're focused on a certain goal, maybe a sales goal that the entire team has to meet, or, or maybe a goal in sports where, where the entire team has an overall goal. Now that is fine and good, that is collaboration. And yet Aker goes on to say that there are some other elements that truly move this into a more spiritual place. One of them is that the collaboration itself, if it's done right, will bring energy to the members of the collaboration. So it isn't just that you're achieving an outward goal. So often when we think of collaboration, we see it in the perspective of everyone collaborating to achieve some outward goal. Aker says that this is true, but perhaps even more importantly, the collaboration there is to up-level and raise up all of the people in that collaboration. And so part of it is about praising the group. Part of it is empowering each of the individuals of the group. Part of it is doing whatever is necessary to raise up not the output of the group, but the group itself. And he goes on to say that the key to highly performing teams and groups and collaborations is that they're self-sufficient and they're self-sustaining. They don't exist just to meet some outward goal. They actually exist in a place of joy, in a place of harmony, in a place of upliftment for and about each other. That's maybe a little bit new way of thinking of collaboration that we're going to explore a little more next week. I think it's time for the Fireflies Part 2.
First of all, let me just say that, that Dr. Smith largely discredited and his, uh, his publication in uh, Nature magazine went, went basically ridiculed for close to 30 years. So 30 years later, another team of biologists is back in those same Indonesian forests of submerged trees and water. And, uh, and of course, they discover it's true. They have the, the same experience. And so teams of people went down to study exactly how this worked and exactly what was going on. And they rounded up bunches of these fireflies and did different experiments on them. And what they discovered was that oftentimes it would start with just a node of one or two fireflies that would start their blinking together. And then visually, maybe a hundred yards away, another firefly would notice this little bit of a brighter group and it would chime in with it. But what was interesting, within four or five bursts of unison of small numbers of bugs, as long as there was a line of sight, as long as one little bug could see another one that could see another one and that could see another one, within about three or four flashes, the entire forest would indeed light up in unison. And so the bugs really were synchronizing themselves almost like a like a heartbeat they would they would pick out one or two individuals that were maybe uh, the band leaders you might think and suddenly within just 3 or 4 beats the entire forest in perfect unison with their flashing the other thing that they discovered by uh, trapping some of the insects, well, of course, the purpose of it was part of their mating season. And so it's uh, the male fireflies that are doing the flashing with the, uh, with the idea of, as you can guess, of, of attracting some of the ladies, right? Well, what they discovered was individually, of course, how much light does one little firefly put off? But oh my gosh, when the whole forest lights up, the ladies know where the party is. <laughs> it's almost kind of embarrassing to tell, but they did some experiments around, uh, uh, around, because uh, some of the fireflies would continue just to to wink on and off individually. There were a few outliers, a few fireflies that did not want to play the big flashing game. And what they discovered was that their ability to find a mate only about three percent. But the ability for the big flashers, the big people doing the unison, the big people partaking in this big group effort, they were successful over 80% of the time. So it really illustrates this idea of we can absolutely do more together than what we can individually. Okay, I want to do a little bit of a summary for y'all, and then we'll, uh, we'll close out today. We learned from fireflies that we can do more in collaboration than singly. That absolutely there is the, the power of working together in a group that can achieve more than the individuals, even if you add up all of the individuals together. And that was another one of the surveys that they did in Harvard around grades. They discovered that students who studied together almost always did better on their exams than those who studied singly. That the power of having a study group, the power of working in teams, always would boost the scores. We also learned that although we're trained for individual success, 
when it comes to the real world later, we often discover that most of the achievements, most of the economic success in the world is actually taking place in groups, not individuals. So for those of us who always thought the the ideal circumstances would be one's own boss, to, to go it alone, to be an individual contributor, that might be satisfying to you personally, but it's not where the true success lies. Whether you consider that money or accolades or ways of finding new creativity or whatever, more typically that is done in groups. And then third, we learned metaphysically that unity is our natural state. We're not actually set up spiritually to be competitors. Spiritually, we're always part of the unity of humankind, the unity of the whole universe. And that when we consider unity as our birthright, when we consider ourselves as part of the whole, then we have access to the whole. God's love is our love. God's joy is our joy. And it's so freely given. When we sense that unity with the other people in our world, it is so freely given. It's only when we set ourselves apart, when we see ourselves as going our own way, when we doggedly pursue our goals at the expense of other people, when Ernest Holmes says we use this power for selfish purposes, that's when we're set apart And in our apartness, we simply cannot flourish for long. So I do have a tiny bit of homework for you. We're going to talk some more in the coming weeks about how we can become one of these highly functional collaborative groups. But for right now, I'd like you just to do a little bit of contemplation about how you are in groups, and in particular where groups fit into you wanting to succeed in your own set of goals. So you might ask yourself, what are my goals in this life? And how much are they based on my individual contribution? And how much are they based on collaborating with other people? So that's your homework. I think it's a simple one. Contemplate your own feelings, your own goals, and where they relate to working by yourself or whether they work in collaboration. And when I say a collaboration, of course, some of you might be thinking, well, he means like a business situation, and not so much. It could be collaboration with your family. It could be collaboration in your neighborhood. So it doesn't have to be a collaboration that takes place in the, in a work or a profession. It could be a more social collaboration to get some of your goals done. All right, well, I'm going to close with another quote from the book and a prayer. Sean Aker says, It all starts with asking the bigger questions. How do I expand my influence in an interconnected world? How am I impacting others with my life and my energy? How do I raise my potential by making other people better? I will argue that if you're not asking these questions, your potential must be limited and your success will likewise be short-lived. This book is an exploration of the new science showing how you can lift the ceiling on your own potential, your own well-being and happiness by helping others to do the same. 
making this a better, happier, and more prosperous world for all of us. In these sometimes dark and complicated times, we don't need a lone flashing light in the night. We need to shine brighter together. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life, one goodness, one unity of all things. And in this unity, I see myself firmly connected, connected to others of my kind, connected to the universe, connected to spirit, connected to all of life everywhere. And in this connection, I know that God's love is my love. I know that spirit's abundance and universality are mine and that the peace and that the joy and beauty of the world is mine to have and to enjoy and to participate in because it is part of who I am. And so for today and the day after and the day after that, I claim that this unity is at work in the lives of everyone, that each person can reach out to one another and to the universe and say, this is me connecting to my greater self. There is no separation here. There is life and life and only life, and I am in the midst of it. And I'm grateful for this awareness of true success in the unity of all. I'm grateful for this grand life and all of its diversity. And so I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Now is our time of conscious contribution. I know many of you are probably going to your web browser or your phone to uh, uh, to use Tithely or to make a donation on our website. The CSL website is cslportland.org. And at the bottom of every page on our website is a little donate button. It's certainly uh, our pleasure to receive your gifts, knowing that this ministry of light and love and awareness is moving out into the world. So before we close out, just a, a reminder about prayer request. Honestly, it's our, it's our pleasure to pray for you. If something's going on in your life or you'd like a little boost, again, at the bottom of all of our pages at our website at cslportland.org, there is a link for submitting a prayer request. When you do that, it automatically gets mailed out to all 12 of our licensed practitioners. You will have a whole team of people praying about your issue. So please take advantage of that. If something's going on, we don't want you left alone with that feeling of trying to do it on your own. We are absolutely here to help. There's also, of course, on our website, a list of practitioners and their contact information. If you want to have a more personal interaction, don't be afraid to uh, to email them or phone them for a, a, a more one-on-one -on -one encounter where we can talk over some of the things that are going on in your life. Either way, please take advantage of our prayer support. So I'd like to close today just with a benediction. If you'd like, you can repeat after me. Something wonderful is flowing through me right now. It is this thing called life. Life is in my mind. Life is in my body. And life is in my affairs. I think it. I feel it. I expect it. And I am it just the way that I am. 
Please know with me that you are never alone. If at any time during the day or night, if, if forgetfulness might creep upon you, I invite you to go within. On that altar of the Most High, recognize that you are loved. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.